strong connected TV ad growth set the stage for this week's new fronts. Companies talked innovation and originals to woo advertisers. Roku's presentation sparkled, but the company faces big challenges. Listen on to learn more. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon right there at the beginning from Endscreen Media. Hi, Colin. How is everything this week? It's good. I have been monitoring the news from the new fronts, uh, and I know you have some more direct feedback because you've actually sat in on some. So that seems to have occupied quite a lot of column inches for the reporters this week. Uh, so, um, so, you know, we can talk about that for sure. But uh, why don't we get started with our news items? And I think you've got some some deets on Sinclair and what they're doing with their RSNs, right? Yeah, well, you and I have talked many times about how sports is moving over to streaming. And Sinclair has signaled in the past that it was going to uh, be launching its own streaming service, sports only. Uh, called Bally Sports Plus, and it announced a um, soft launch this quarter, and it announced pricing, $20 a month or $190 per year. And Sinclair obviously has a lot of RSN content. Um, It has lost a number of different cable operators and pay TV operators from carrying that uh, package of RCN. So the idea of streaming is, is pretty critical to them. And I think it's going to be another step forward in what you and I, again, have talked about, the idea of sports moving over to streaming. And um, and that's, I think, just going to increase as we go forward. What's your take? Yeah, the, the thing I love about it is that it, it really gives us a chance to see how much those OSNs are really val- are valued by people, right? Because uh, before, you pretty much had no choice. You had to pay for them. Um, but now, now they are voluntary. And the only, the only question for me is that it's really confusing. Okay. So they've told us it's 20 bucks, but we really don't know what that gets you access to. If that only gets you access to your local teams. So if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, if you can watch the Tampa Bay Lightning NHL franchise locally, or if that's going to be national. So there's really, there's really not a lot of details about exactly how the service will work. But as you say, it's another one of those movements of, of professional sports online. And uh, now if, if your sport is carried by that service, the only way you're going to be able to get it is by streaming it. So that's uh, that should, I think, uh, encourage more people into the streaming world. Absolutely. And you were following the results from Paramount Plus this week. I was, and they continue to grow pretty strongly. So last quarter, the end of last quarter, they said they had 56 million streaming subscribers and 33 million of those were Paramount Plus. Probably the, you know, most of the rest were Showtime. And they put on 6 million. They've added 6 million total streamers. And it looks like almost all of those went to Paramount Plus because Paramount Plus, they say, finished just shy of 40 million. And uh, that's a really interesting number because Paramount Plus is now uh, probably a top six, maybe a top five 
streaming service in the US these days. That's a very big number. And so they're obviously reaching a lot of audience. Um, of course, Paramount Plus has started to launch internationally. So some of those are international subscribers. But I got to believe, Will, that a lot of them are in the US. That a lot of those gains of six million are in the US. So, uh, so pretty good progress there, I think, for Paramount Plus. Yeah, sounds that way. They didn't break out domestic versus international. Well, they didn't. They no, they did not. Will, however, Showtime is a U.S. only service, so all of Showtime subscribers will be in the U.S. So I, you know, I think the vast majority of those subscribers are in the U.S. Uh, of the sixty-two million, they say they have. I'm pretty sure, you know, the vast majority of them are here in the U.S. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So let's see, we wanted to talk about uh, the new fronts a little bit and some data that the IEB released this week in conjunction with um, the new fronts. And then I think uh, we're going to sort of migrate into a brief discussion of um, Roku and again, how their new front went. Exactly. So why don't you kick us off? Uh, Talk about this IEB data, pretty interesting, right? Yeah, so the IEB every year releases um, in conjunction with the new fronts an updated report on digital video ad spend. And uh, as always, it, well, I shouldn't say as always, but as recently anyway, has been the case. It pointed to a lot of growth in overall digital video uh, and specifically in connected TV. Overall digital video ad spend up by 49% in 2021 to 50 billion in total in 2022. Uh, Specifically on CTV, which is the fastest growing category, CTV um, was expected to be up by 57% in 2021 and is expected to go up another 39% to 21.2 billion in uh, 2022. So those numbers I think are roughly in line with what eMarketer has said as well. Um, And that would mean that CTV ad spending would more than double in the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, they ask IEB in their uh, study, ask buyers really, what is it that attracts them to uh, CTV and to streaming? And uh, the buyers are pretty clear in saying, um, 65% of them, that uh, they're able to um, take advantage of certain types of data that just simply are not available in linear TV. And I'll talk about that a little bit when we, when we get into a few of the new front presentations as well. But data is a huge, huge part of the CTV buying proposition um, and targeting and also the idea of conversion to actual commerce. So uh, those are big things. And IEB also noted that um, ad buyers like CTV because it, <coughs> excuse me, um, provides more transparency on where their ads actually run. Sixty percent of buyers said that it was very clear to them where their ad CTV ads ran uh, versus only fifty percent for social video and forty three percent for all other types of digital video. So um, you know those were I think some of the key takeaways. W- one other key takeaway I think. And this ran through the new front presentations that I attended, is that um, even despite CTV's growth, it still does not actually account for its proportionate share uh, of advertising relative to overall viewership. So only 
18% of uh, total video ad dollars are going to CTV, um, whereas CTV uh, will account for 36% um, of, uh, of, of total uh, view time. So um, that's something that a lot of, um, I think, the industry is focused on, is closing that gap. And that actually feels that paradigm feels very familiar to me back going way back to my cable TV days where um, cable TV networks were making a similar um, case for why dollars should move from broadcast to cable because uh, there was a gap in terms of the amount of viewership going on on cable TV networks versus on uh, broadcast. And that strategy worked very effectively. So advertisers are accustomed to hearing that, um, you know, that approach. And, you know, I think that's what CTV is really going to be capitalizing over the next few years is just, if nothing else, just closing the gap on viewership. And that's going to continue to fuel CTV ad growth. That's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, the growth is pretty remarkable. Well, I was just trying to remember what they, what they forecast for traditional TV ad spend. And I seem to remember that it's pretty much, ga- they seem to think it was going to be flat. About flat, yeah. Yeah, in the next couple of years, at just a bit below $70 billion. That means that this is new money, right? It's new money coming into to CTV. It's not coming. It's still not coming from traditional TV. So that kind of that that double that well, sort of. Did, go ahead. I, I, I could just interrupt for one second. Um, I mean, that's that's actually you know, uh, I think a point of discussion in the industry. And I know I had um, just as one reference point, Brian Weiser from Group M. Uh, was part of our CTV ad preview conference earlier this year. And the argument that he makes is that the growth that we see happening in CTV advertising really is just a shifting of the growth that would have occurred in linear TV. So it's not necessarily new dollars. It's just growth that would have uh, would have only been happening in linear TV. Um, I don't know that it matters all that much. And I don't know that everybody agrees with that. But I did just want to interject quickly with that point. No, it's a, that's a very good clarification. But uh, it's still, I think the numbers still do suggest that the transfer of ad dollars isn't occurring as fast as the transfer of viewing, that's for sure. So yeah. uh, that that's that's very interesting. It's also very interesting. It seems like that folks like Roku and Vizio, Vizio and Samsung are doing a pretty good job in working with advertisers to give them the information they need to understand how their ads are performing on their CTV devices, right? Because, you know, that's that's the sort of testament, the, the data you gave from IAB that shows the confidence in understanding what's going on with ads on CTV is higher than in other, other uh, potential outlets for it. So that's also really encouraging. And actually, that was one of the things I noticed from some of the new fronts, that there was still, there's still a lot of innovation going on in that, tech, not that core technology of reporting on what's going on, you know, to, so that they can tell more accurately targeting, planning, and, and, uh, and provide tracking tools to the advertisers that spend with them right so so that might that's a, a good opportunity what did you hear you saying on some of the some of the sessions what did you hear there yeah so um i've only said it on three of the sessions so far we're recording here a wednesday afternoon actually i f- four i should say 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Samsung and Roku, to your point, were um, very much focused on the data. A big part of their uh, approach is improved targeting relative to linear. Um, and as part of that, making the case, as I just said, about um, you know CTV getting its fair share versus linear viewing uh, for ad dollars relative to the amount of um, consumption that's going on. Uh, Samsung also made the point um, that AVOD viewing, sort of to get even deeper into this, that AVOD viewing is up 10%, um, whereas SVOD viewing is down 11%. And, um, and, you know, Samsung just uh, basically reiterating that, um, you know, free is re a really important part of the market right now and growing. Uh, and that if ad buyers only use linear, that they could be missing up to 50% of uh, audiences right now. So Samsung, we know, has been aggressive with their fast service, Samsung TV+. Plus. Um, and aggressive with uh, the analytics and the data. They made that case again that, <clears throat> excuse me, they're preferable, um, that they offer a lot more insight than linear TV. Um, Roku also, I think, uh, similar points. I know we're going to talk about them in a minute, but you know, another big part of what uh, Roku was talking about were its originals. And um, actually, their, <laughs> their new biopic about um, Weird Al Yankovic, which stars Daniel Radcliffe, is looks like a real tentpole for them coming up. Um, so Roku is being smart about where it invests in originals, but um, originals becoming more and more important to Roku, that's for sure. Uh, and they also announced a um, partnership with Microsoft um, that'll blend some of the data and uh, into Bing searches. Um, and uh, and offer a closer collaboration there um, on search. So uh, that was Samsung and Roku. Uh, also sat in on the Peacock presentation, which was really well done. And um, you know, they obviously we I think we talked about them last week or maybe the week before. They are growing their number of subscribers. Their uh, paid membership base is growing, and they are investing heavily in originals as well. Uh, and also in uh, the ad tech side to um, to make it more transparent for buyers. So um, they, well, we'll actually, I don't know if we want to talk right now about Peacock or if you want to jump in on any of that. Well, yeah, I mean, Peacock, Peacock is doing very, very well. And one of the things that was impressive last quarter, of course, was they saw tremendous growth in both uh, free and in subscribers and, and in and actual paying subscribers, what they call premium subscribers. Um, they saw pretty good growth in both of those categories. And the, one of the things that really really came over to me uh, from, from the new fronts, Will, was there's a lot of focus now around originals among the AVOD providers. And to be in particular... Um, now, Fox said a couple of couple of quarters ago that they were going to be really targeted in the way they spent their money on originals for their services, and I think that's that's very wise. I don't think that they they're quite going after the same type of market and same type of approach that SVOD services are. But that still means that they're spending some real money. They say they're going to have a hundred new titles in the next year, and which means ten new titles a month, which is 
a pretty decent flow of new content coming into the service. Uh, and similarly, uh, Roku channel is also producing a lot of originals and uh, I expect we'll see some originals flowing into a lot of the other uh, AVOD services, more successful AVOD services out there. So I think this is going to change the equation. One of the interesting things about AVODs is I was just um, talking with Chris Ambrosic from TiVo about the new TiVo, TiVo video trends report. And the interesting thing about AVODs is that they're predominantly watched outside of prime time. SVOD is watched way more inside of prime time than outside of prime time. And the, certainly the data you suggest, you, 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 you said where Samsung was saying AVOD usage is up 10% and SVOD is down 11%. I think as more originals come into AVOD that we'll see people watching it more during prime time. Uh, there's very definitely people would prefer to have focused viewing during that period. So, you know, I, I think that that's probably always going to be true. But if AVOD is providing decent content with relatively low ad loads, I got a feeling that they could make even further inroads into SVOD going forward. And, and if not SVOD, into those people that still have uh, pay television, which, of course, the majority of folks still do in some form. Uh, that the AVOD viewing could really eat into attention to and usage of traditional pay TV and linear television bundles. So, you know, that this, I think originals really puts yeah. a different spin on the way we think about these services as being more primary sources of content entertainment instead of secondary. I, I think that's a great point, Colin. Certainly, I think, you know, broadly speaking, the stakes continue to get higher in original content, just billions and billions of dollars uh, being spent. It was already being spent by the SVOD providers, now being uh, spent by the AVOD providers. A little bit more selectively, I think the budgets are certainly smaller, um, but they all recognize that that's going to be the calling card going forward, and um, and that's how it's going to work. So, uh yeah, so um, those were some of my takeaways. I'm um, planning to attend some more of the uh, new fronts. And then, of course, everything is available on demand. And I'm going to, um, that starts next week. I'm going to catch some of those sessions uh, that I wasn't able to get to from a, a, um, a scheduling perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, you wanted to, I think, also uh, hone in a little bit more on Roku. And, um, and their new front was great, actually. One of the things that really, uh, came out to me in Roku was, um, you know, more progress on the OneView platform, uh, being able to insert ads in di dynamically in, in linear TV, uh, also a step up on Shoppable um, and trying to integrate commerce. And of course, the emphasis on free. That's been a, a major emphasis of Roku for the Roku channel. It certainly has. And you know, one of the things that really came out of my analysis of the Roku Q1 2022 data, which also came out, uh, I think it came out at the end of last week, actually. One of the things that came out of that data was that, well, first of all, it's still growing. There's no question about that. It's seeing pretty strong growth in all of its major measures. So it added 1.2 million active users. It delivered 1.4 billion more streaming hours and it boosted annual, annual average revenue per unit ARPU by $1.88 uh, in, in the quarter. So 
that's all to the good. The problem is that those results are slower growth than uh, than we've seen in Q1s in 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 the past. So, for example, um, active users increased by two percent over Q4 2021. And that's the smallest quarterly increase in at least five years in the number of active users. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that sort of thing, I think, is problematic. The other thing is that although they did increase the number of hours pretty sharply, 1.2 billion is, I think, a pretty sharp increase. The problem is that they, when you, when you sort of divide that out by the number of active users, it actually translates into a much, much smaller gain. So um, actually, if you look at it year over year, the gain is negative. It's down 1.4%, but it's, it's kind of unfair, Will, because you know that was Q1 2021, and we were just coming out of lockdown, and there was still yeah. a lot of additional viewing going on. Um, but they did show a small increase over Q4, uh, and and... That said, people are watching a heck of a lot on their Roku's three hours and 45 minutes by my calculation, which is six minutes more than last than the previous quarter. So, you know, in those homes that are active Roku users, it's clearly a key source and a primary source of television entertainment. The other thing that also slowed was the growth in platform revenue. Now, platform revenue is where Roku um, keeps its the Roku channel advertising revenue and the general advertising revenue revenue that it grows that it um, that it reports, and look, it's a fabulous business for them. It's it's um, driving most of the revenue for the company now. That said, it certainly increased by a healthy amount, thirty nine percent over Q one twenty twenty two, but that's far below the hundred percent growth in the previous four quarters. So uh, once again, that you know that thirty nine percent sounds great, but it's the it's the lowest growth in first quarter growth in the last five years, and basically basically since they started breaking out the platform as a separate as a separate thing that they were tracking. So there's no question that Roku growth is slowing, and you know. <laughs> They're not standing still, but they do. I think they really have some challenges going ahead. Just before you get to the challenges, Connor, I was going to say that those, the slowing numbers when you refer to 39%, I mean, those are, it's a little unfair to compare any numbers to numbers that happened during the pandemic because everything got really distorted during that period. It's true. So it's, um, you know, I think we see that across the board in lots of different of the companies and services we look at. Certainly, Netflix, you know, that was a big culprit for Netflix's. Uh, shortfall this past time, um, you know, that Absolutely. COVID just created a lot of distortions for companies' performance. It did. And there's no question that like like Netflix and like Disney Plus and like, you know, a lot of the other service providers, I'm sure that there is some pull forward uh, that that occurred for Roku that is retarding growth this time. The The thing was, the thing is, though, you know, I, I compared it to the last five years and it really was, in some cases, quite ex- extreme, the reduction in growth. And so I think there's something, I really do think there's something else going on here. And it, and it only makes sense, Will, because when you think about it, Roku's now are pretty deeply penetrated in the US. And 
everybody who wants a connected TV has one or is about to get one. And I, I just don't think there's, I think um, Bruce Leishman says that there's about 82% penetration now in the US for connected televisions. So the big growth in new connected TV households in the US for sure, in the UK probably, and other markets, the big growth phase is over. And I think that's a bit of a problem for Roku now because now they have to grow um, with the growth in, say, smart TV purchases. So so the aggressive growth of people connecting televisions is kind of over now they're just going to have to go with the organic growth and and that's could be that could be a problem particularly in markets like the US so for example in the US uh, where Roku is the most dominant no question it's the dominant operating system um, that TV operating system they're certainly seeing slowing growth here uh, so okay so they're now, now they're starting to operate internationally but the problem is that they really don't have much of a footprint in Europe, for example. They, they're doing better in Latin America, but they really don't have much of a footprint in Europe. And for that, they're looking to TV manufacturers to help them. And uh, that that's one of the strong points for them is that they've really partnered extremely well with companies like TCL and Hisense um, and, and several other companies that are using the Roku OS to power their televisions. And they're looking to those manufacturers to help them in Europe. But they really do start from way behind. So in Europe, Fire TV and Apple TV are the two most dominant devices that people use, uh, along with their smart TVs. And they're far behind. So... That's going to be a challenge, I think, for them to continue growth. And it is so important that they continue to grow those active users if they're going to continue to boost the people people using the Roku channel and that most important platform revenue. So I think that's a, that's going to be kind of a big challenge for them uh, going forward. Uh, that said, they're very well positioned. They continue to be very well positioned in the US. So I think they'll remain a dominant force in the US connected TV market, um, at least for the next next few years. Uh, but uh, outside of the US, which is where I think a lot of the aggressive growth could come from, they have much bigger challenges. And that's going to be a key test for them if they can be successful in international markets. Yeah, well, we'll see international. Yep, I agree with you is important. Um, they had a terrific new front presentation, as always, focusing on their one view on Roku channel, on uh, their new partnership. So I don't know. I, I continue to like Roku's positioning in the market. And um, and again, this last few years has been a really weird, distorted time with COVID. So I think we might be just about out of time, though, Colin. You know, again, kudos to IEB for what they've done with the new fronts again this year. It's it's really impressive and um, just learn a ton from, from watching those sessions. Yeah, I've really enjoyed reading about them too. Okay, Colin, I think that's it. Until next week, thanks everyone for listening in and uh, we'll see you again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved. <laughs>